tonight. I am excited. I think I'm more excited about the series that I'm going to begin tonight than anything I've ever taught. Uh, I am going to continue it for the next five or six weeks, and then we will return to the Luke series. I got a little sidetracked, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm super, super, super excited about the message that I'm going to give tonight. It was by the Holy Spirit, Floyd, you betcha. So our government works diligently uh, to identify terrorist threats and to, to stay a step ahead of our enemies' plots and schemes that, that want to destroy us. Do you understand that? The United States government works very hard to identify those threats and nullify them before they even come to be. They're fully aware that there are enemies who want to bring our country down. They have trained operatives working to minimize the threat and to uncover and detect enemy strategies. They collect and they analyze intelligence to alert them to dangers of national security. Their goal is to preempt those threats and to con conduct covert action against their enemy's plans. Their ultimate goal, of course, is to foil the plans of the enemy and to obliterate the evil behind them. The last thing they want are surprise attacks. We all know this because we experienced one on 9-11. On 9-11, it was an example of terrorists infiltrating and staging a surprise attack. The government wasn't ready for it, and as a result, we suffered greatly because of it. They weren't prepared for that enemy attack. And I bring that up tonight because you and I have a, spirit, a spiritual terrorist network at work in our lives as well. We have an enemy of our soul, one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we need to work to minimize the threat and uncover his plots and expose his secret scheming. Many of us sitting here tonight are daily taken down by surprise attacks. And we need to learn to identify the hidden spiritual terrorists and wage war against them. In doing this, we cause our enemy to be weakened and his threat in our life to be decreased. But sadly, the church has not prepared its people properly. Instead, we focus on feel-good teachings, entertaining people and making them laugh at church on Sunday morning. We feed our people and we make them spiritually fat but not spiritually fit. As a result, we have fat Christians full of all kinds of information, but, but Christians who have no idea how to wage a war against the enemy of their soul. I'm bothered because of the increase of demonic activity that I see in our world today. Witchcraft is common. Sexual perversion and lust are epidemic. Mental illness is running rampant. Addiction is flourishing. And hate and disrespect of authority seem to be at an all-time high. I believe we're living in a time where things are happening in our government and behind the scenes that average Christians are completely oblivious to. Turn on headline news even for a minute and you will know that we are in the midst of a battle, church. Media, social media, and the internet have had dramatic influence on our homes, our lives, our children, our culture. And we, as the church, are sitting idle, turning a blind eye to it. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's time, church, that we rise up. This is not the time for a feel-good gospel. It's time to seek him with all our heart, to thirst after righteousness, to be vigilant. It's time to learn what it means to be sober-minded and to begin to be committed to walk in obedience to the word of God. It's so interesting to me. I just read an article in the New York Times that said, according to a survey by the Barna Group, that two-thirds, hear me, two-thirds of Americans do not believe in the devil as a living entity. Two-thirds of Americans. And that is exactly what the enemy of your soul wants. 
Do you understand that you are spiritual beings? You were created in the, the image and the likeness of God. He is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We are spirit beings. And we live in the natural, that's why we have a body, but someday I'm not going to need this body anymore, and I'm going to heaven as a spirit being, I'm going to get a new body, I don't need this one. This one is just here to hold me to earth. But we are spirit beings, and here's where the enemy deceives you. He gets you to fight your battles in the natural. In what's happening in front of you, the circumstances that you're going through, and you are deceived into believing that that is where your battle is at. Your battle needs to be fought in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm where the battle is raging. And yet, we're uninformed. We must know our enemy and how he operates. We cannot be ignorant of his devices, Scripture says. The Bible says that it is his goal to outwit us. <laughs> like it or not, admit it or not, believe it or not, there is a spiritual battle taking place, spiritual terrorism, if you will. And it's in the life of, it's taking place in the life of every Christian sitting here tonight. And we need to teach the body how to stand against the wiles of the devil, and how not to be unaware of his schemes. Because an uninformed church is an unprepared church. Just like the United States of America was unprepared for the attacks at 9-11, you and I, when we are uninformed, we will be unprepared for the attack of the enemy. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. But would you just pray with me first? Father God, I thank you and I praise you for your presence here tonight. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Father, I pray that your spirit would come and move among us. I pray that you'd open up ears to hear and hearts to receive your word tonight, Lord. I pray against hardened hearts and, and I command them to be softened in Jesus' name and ready to receive the seed of your word. I pray for an awakening in our souls, Lord God, that we would have eyes to see like we've never seen before. Lord, that we would have an understanding of your word, that we would have rhema revelation, Father God. I pray that there would be a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that would rest upon this place. Lord, that you would speak your word into our hearts and in our minds, and that that word would change us and transform us. Father, I have never been more aware of my uh, limit, limited ability to do anything. I need you. And I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would just fall upon me afresh and anew, that you would anoint me with power from on high, that I would open my mouth and I would say only what you tell me to say, but that I would say it boldly and confidently and with great authority, Lord. Have your way in this place, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just tell you that Satan is the sworn enemy of the people of God. And he has declared war against us. You might say, well, Rhea, I don't like this Satan stuff. I don't like this devil stuff. I, that makes you unaware. That's what that makes you. Because there is, there is a heaven and there is a hell. I just need to tell you. And we have an enemy of our soul, the Bible tells us. And his one mission is to come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your children. He wants to destroy your life. It's what he does. And we cannot, Scripture says, be unaware of his schemes. The cardinal role in warfare is to know your enemy. We must know him. The most important thing we can do in our Christian walk is to learn how to clearly identify the enemy and his tactics. Many of us are sitting here tonight and we're confused who our enemy is. <laughs> we actually think it's the woman next door or, or our coworker, or, or the difficult person that we have to deal with or our spouse or the gossip who has a lot to say about us. Can I just tell you that that is not your enemy? Ephesians 6, 12 says that our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Every time we are hurt or injured or take offense 
at the, at the hand of man. We need to remember that our struggle in life is never about flesh and blood. It's never about a person. If someone hurt you, if someone deceived you, if someone betrayed you or talked about you, can I just tell you, dear one, they were just pawns in the hand of the enemy. Feel sorry for them that they were accessible to be used by him. Forgive them for being stupid, but don't make them your battle. Because your battle is not against flesh and blood. That is God's word. God's word is truth. The battle is fought and, and won in the spiritual realm. And most of us live unaware of that day in and, and day out. You might be sitting here tonight drowning in pain, full of heartache, overwhelmed by, by anxiety or addiction, sinking in, in fear or self-hatred. But I am here to tell you it is not about Susie down the street. It's not about the person who neglected you or abused you. It's not about the situation you're living in, the, the husband who left you, the spouse who cheated on you. It's not about the addiction that dogs you day and night. It is about the enemy of your soul who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Scripture says in John 10.10, 10, the thief, the enemy comes for no other reason than that. That is his sole purpose that he comes. And we have to have an understanding of our enemy and, and know how he operates. Otherwise, we will fight the wrong battle in the, in the wrong way. Lest you think that I am giving too much power to the enemy, let me assure you that he is a defeated foe. That, that should bring praise God in this place. He is a defeated foe. Hebrews 2.14 says that through his death on the cross, Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. He destroyed the devil. The Bible says he came to destroy the works of the devil. That means the devil is a defeated foe. The Bible says that, that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus disarmed the powers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over him, over them on the cross. Do you understand that your enemy is a defeated foe? You can never lose sight of that. That means that, that he has no power in our life except what we give him. You see, even though he's defeated, God expects us to enforce that defeat. But in our ignorance... We fall prey to him every single day. The fact that Christ defeated him on the cross of Calvary tells me that he has no legal access to my life. I am a blood-bought child of God. I am sealed with the blood of Jesus until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has sealed me for the day of redemption. Do you understand that? The enemy can't touch me. He has no power in my life except what I give him because I don't enforce the defeat. Do, do you see that? The Bible says, and you've heard me preach on this many, many times, don't give place to the devil. That word place is topos. It's where we get our word topography. It means an actual geographical location in your life. Most always it's right here. And it means don't give him an occasion to act in your life. I, I, I looked it up today. I, I felt like I was praying before I came here. And I said, Lord, is there anything else you want to add to my notes? And, and he, he put that, that, that scripture back in my mind. And I'm like, Lord, I know what it means. I've studied it. And he said, go look it up again. I went to look it up again and I saw something I'd never seen before. Do you know that uh, along with an occasion to act, an opportunity to act, <laughs> a geographical location, do you know what else it means? Don't give him a license. Rocked my world. Because you see, because he's defeated, he has no legal right in my life. He has to obtain a license to get power in my life. And I do that when I'm unaware of his schemes. We give him legal access in our life through our ignorance, through not being aware of his schemes. We give him license to act in our life through disobedience to God's word. We give him license to act in our life through agreement. How can two walk together unless they agree? When we agree with his lies, what, so, 
Some of you have had people who have spoken over you and who have said you're, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, you're, you're, you're not lovable, you're, 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 you'll never be successful. And some of you have believed that lie that the enemy has whispered into you through the, the channel or the medium, medium of another person. And you have come into agreement with that lie, and now you've given place to the devil. Do you see how that works? Agreement with the lies gives him place. How can two walk together unless they agree? We also give him place by our declaration. How many of you know that words have power? You've heard me preach on this a million times. In the beginning, when God created the world, it was full of chaos and it was dark, and, and he spoke and a whole universe came into being. So order came, chaos came into order. Just because of the power of his words. You and I are created in his image and in his likeness. Our words have power. That's why we have to be careful the declarations we are making from our mouth. You said, Rhea, show me where that's scriptural. The Bible says that let the weak say, I am strong. That means I feel weak, I, 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 every emotion in me wants to be weak, but the Bible tells me that I need to make the declaration and say, I'm strong. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of, uh, of my circumstances, I'm going to make that declaration that I am strong. I'm not coming into agreement with the enemy, giving him place by saying I am weak. Do you see it? I'm coming into agreement with God's word. God, you tell me I'm strong. Don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you're full of anxiety, what's your declaration going to be? I'm so full of anxiety, and I'm so anxious, but no! Let your declaration be, thank you, Father, that you have told me that I don't need to be anxious about anything, but that I can present this thing to you through prayer petition, and I can thank you that you've already met my needs, and that you're going to give me peace that passes all understanding. I thank you, Father, not for this anxiety. I thank you for peace that passes all understanding. I'm not even coming into agreement with the enemy that I'm feeling anxious. Do you see how we give him place? Our words have power and Satan is always ready to enforce the words that we say that give him legal right. Second Colossians or Colossians 2:15 tells us that Jesus has already defeated Satan for us, but that doesn't mean we can bury our head in the sand and, and, and pretend the battle is over. We have a responsibility to stand our ground against the devil's schemes, to, to resist the devil, to, to use the weapons of our warfare that, that God has given us, and, and, and to understand that we have, oh, here's my favorite scripture in the whole entire world. Yeah. I have given, all authority has been given to you to do what? Trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome how much? All the power of the enemy, and nothing can in any way harm you. What about that declaration? What about us saying, well, the next time something big comes at us, uh-uh, I have authority to trample on this snake and scorpion and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing can in any way harm me. We've got to get the word of God in us. We've got to start believing him. So we have to know who our enemy is. The enemy has many names. Sarah, can you put that, the name slide up for me, please? The, the enemy has many names. Names are important. This is why it's vital. Nope, the next one. This is why it's very, nope, the next one. This is why it's so vital that, that we understand the names of God. Because the, the name the name means character. It, it means reputation or fame. When you know the names of God, you know what his reputation is. You know what his character is all about. You know what he's famous for. That's why it's so important we study the names of God. But I'm telling you, the devil has some names as well. Here are just a couple of them. He, he's known by, you've heard me teach this, diabolos, the devil. The word devil is diabolos. Dia means alongside or through, and balos means to throw. You say, well, Rhea, what does that mean? It means that he has no legal access to me. The only access he can get is what he breaks through in my life. So he comes alongside of me throwing. 
accusations, lies, whispers, condemnation, you name it. Trying to get penetration. And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. He'll keep trying and trying and trying because he doesn't have any legal access to you until he breaks through. And so you, you listen to it long enough, sooner or later, you're going to believe it. You're going to let it come in your mind. That's why we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Diabolos, one who comes alongside throwing, trying to get penetration in your life. The next name is liar. Uh, John 8, 44 says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is, a, he is a liar and the father of lies. I'm telling you, ask anybody that knows me, they will tell you I have zero tolerance for a liar. Because this is why. When you lie, you act like your father, the devil. Yes. You take on his characteristics. Why in the world would a Christian ever want lies to come out of their mouth? Because we take on the character of the enemy of our soul. He's a liar. He's an accuser of the brethren. His, his voice accuses. If somebody is accusing you, if someone is making you feel shamed, if someone is, is talking dirt about you, can I tell you, who's, who are they acting like? Who are they being used by? The enemy, because he is the accuser of the brethren. God is not. He's the lover of your soul. He's a slanderer. He's the tempter. He's a thief. He's the author of confusion. If you are confused in any way, shape, or form, can I tell you, confusion is not a tool of God's. It's a tool of the enemy's. Yeah. Refuse that confusion. He is the Lord of the dung. Do I need to tell you what dung is? Some of you got some dung going on up here. And he is the Lord of that. Get rid of it. He's the Lord of the flies. This is so interesting to me. I never really understood this. Did anybody understand this? He's the Lord of the flies. And what I learned was during, uh, in Bible times, during sacrificial times, you know how they have the sacrificial offerings. Well, when the blood was shed, what was attracted to the blood? Flies. And, and so they, they began to, the, the, the flies they, that were so attracted to the blood from the sacrifice, they would invoke Beelzebub, or Lord of the Flies, to, to, um, to, to scatter, the, to drive away those flies. And so he became known as the Lord of the Flies. He was trying to interfere with the sacrificial offerings, and I'm telling you, he still does the same thing today. I promise you, if you live a sacrificial life, if you live saying, Lord, I'm going to die to that thing, I'm going to sacrifice my rights, I'm going to start living for you, I, I'm going to lay down my life for you, I promise you, Lord of the Flies is going to come. And he's going to attack because he's he's, he hates sacrifice. He hates sacrifice. You cannot be unaware. He's ruler of the power of the air. He's the authority over this present evil world system, 1 John 5 says. Does that surprise you? Guess who's at work behind the scenes? He's the adversary, one who contends with, uh, oppresses, opposes, resists. He's our opponent. And he comes like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. He's the opposer. He opposes you and I and anything good in our life. He is Apollya and Abaddon. That means the destroyer. He wants to destroy anything good in your life. It means to render useless. He wants to render you useless. Do you know how he renders? He isn't, he's not at all worried that you're a Christian. He's not. He's not intimidated by your Bible reading. He's not intimidated by your church attendance. He's not intimidated by, hallelujah, praise the Lord. How you doing, sister? He's not intimidated by that. Do you know what he's intimidated by? Your intimacy. Yeah. Your intimacy. Because the last thing he wants is for you to have fellowship and intimacy with the lover of your soul. It's because he understands that's where your power lies. Yeah. And so every device, every scheme he uh, manufactures is aimed at keeping you out of the secret place with God, keeping you out of that place of intimacy, keeping you out of that place of power. He is the deceiver, and he is the personification of evil. He is the antithesis of anything good. And contrary to popular belief, he does not come in a red suit with horns and a tail. Grant Richardson says this, I, I love this quote, the devil uses stealth, he stalks every Christian. He is now on the loose. He is on the prowl looking to trap you in his devices. 
The devil always seeks opportunities to undermine our Christian walk. He is constantly on the prowl. He is not omnipresent, for he can only be in one place at one time. However, he has a massive infrastructure of emissaries, demons, who do his bidding. They seek to seduce every one of us. The devil says, I'm looking for the spiritual naive. I'm patrolling the earth for simple souls who don't think I'm real. The idea that the devil walks about in a red union suit having a forked tail and cloven hooves and carries a pitchfork is a ridiculous religious fairy tale. He camouflages himself with this idea. The Bible says he disguised himself as an angel of light. He couches his schemes as something beautiful and enticing. He makes sin look good and evil look enticing. And that's why it's so important that we understand the way he works. And I created a tool for you. Leslie, if you could hand those out. I created a tool for you that I believe will be helpful. I might be wrong, but Dave and I thought it was good. That, 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 that will be helpful uh, to you to recognize um, the schemes of the enemy and learn how to refuse them. And so I'll wait till you get that up. Sarah, could you go back to the beginning slide? And right here is the, the, the handout that I gave you. And I believe it is, a, I, I call it a demonic cycle. Dave didn't like the word cycle because he said it, it ends and starts in the same place. And so we really should change that word cycle. Baby, what did you say you should be? Process. process. Uh, a demonic process. So kind of scratch out your cycle and put process. Did I, did I correct it? Yes, I just didn't correct it in my notes. Good job, Dave. <laughs> and then... What else I want you to correct is, do you see where mine says counterattack, the bottom right-hand block? Yours says feedback. I changed that to counterattack. I thought that was better. So, so we're on the same page. Let's all uh, make those corrections. So I believe that the demonic process starts with sender. And the sender, as we have said, is the devil. Uh, and the human mind is the receiver. His goal is to get in our head. Because he doesn't have any legal right, we have to allow him in our head. Okay? And so that's his goal, to get in our head. Go to the next, uh, the next, uh, next one. So I told you his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. Next one, Sarah. He's a defeated foe. Next one. Now, in order to get in our head and to send his messages to us, he has to develop a scheme. The Bible says, do not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Now, for those of you who are just here for the first time tonight, let me tell you that I am a preacher. To the very core of my being, I am a preacher. Dave is a teacher. <laughs> it is hard for me to teach. And I'm going to try to teach tonight, and so bear with me. It's not my comfort zone. I like to preach. And so this, I have to teach to get through this. And so uh, just bear with me. If this is your first time, come back so I can preach at you. But um, the scripture says, do not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. That's Ephesians um, 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you do not, so you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. Notice our battle is not against the devil. It's against his schemes. Because the devil is defeated. The only thing that can cause us to battle are his schemes. Uh, so he uses those schemes, Scripture says, to outwit us. And so uh, that's 2 Corinthians 2.11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. And so we have to know his schemes. The word scheme, it means trickery. It means tricks or manipulations of the devil. And they're designed to deceive us, to ensnare us, and to lead us into bondage. He has a scheme for you. The, the word scheme is methodia in, in, in the Greek. And that word is where we get our word method. So this is his method to get to you, a scheme. The word describes deliberate planning or a systematic approach. So he uses clever methods or strategies to attain a desired end, your ensnarement. 
It means to lie in wait. It means cunning arts, deceit, craft, trickery. And the idea behind it is deception. Remember, one of the enemy's names is deceiver or liar. His entire warfare is based upon deception, upon lies and trickeries. He deceives us to give him place. Warren Wearsby says, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. But to reiterate, it is a baited camouflage trap. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. His strategy is to gain entrance, to make it look good so you buy into it and give him entrance. It's a game plan to bring you down. It's a scheme. That's what that word means. And so he develops a scheme for your life. Next, next, next slide. Next one. Yep. Yep. And now he has to customize it. Do you see the word customize there on your process? That, you need to know that Satan's scheme for your life is different than my, his scheme for my life. His scheme is tailor-made for you. It's carefully and methodically selected to attack each person's specific weakness and vulnerability. Yes. You've heard me say this many times. The scripture in Job, where, where it's just... I, it just blows my mind, it baffles me that, that they're in the throne room of God and there are angels all around God and all of a sudden Satan, Satan shows up and, and God says to him, Satan, what are you doing here? And what are you doing? And he says, this is Rhea's loose translation, he says, I'm roaming the world looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. If you look it up in the original language, that's what it means. He's roaming the world looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Every one of us has areas of weakness. Every one of us has vulnerabilities. And he wants to capitalize on those. He doesn't waste his bait. He's calculated. He has studied your life. He knows your greatest weaknesses and aims directly for them. David Jeremiah says, if you could sneak into Satan's office, wherever that might be, because he's not in hell yet, and take a peek into his files, you might be surprised to find a folder with your name on it. He says, I'm not exaggerating. He keeps a file on you, and inside that file are all the strategies he's tried on you, the ones that have worked and the ones that have failed. He doesn't waste his time with the ones that don't work anymore. Instead, he uses variations on the strategies that have caused you to stumble in the past. As long as that keeps working, he keeps using you understand? He's calculated. He surveys our lives. He's looking for a place to get a foothold. He knows your weaknesses. And once he gets penetration with his lies, his goal is to build a fortress to hide in. A fortress in your life to deceive you and to torment you and to harass you. He targets your weakness. He knows the sin that so easily entangles you. He knows your worries, your anxieties. He knows the things that push your buttons. He targets your vulnerabilities. We teach our guys this. Uh, Sarah, do you have the blasted screen? Uh, we teach our guys this. This is uh, our, when, when Dave and I work with men who have sexual addiction. And one of the things that, that we, we teach them, because what happens with sex addiction... It, People say to me all the time, Maria, how do you work with men who have sex addiction? How do I work with liars? How do I work with gossips? Because in my mind, there is no difference. Sin is sin. Yes. Men who struggle with sex addiction, are, 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 they, they're hurting. They, they, these are the areas that usually the enemy gets an in. We teach them to be aware and to watch out. We call it blast it. Be aware of blast it. Anytime you're bored, anytime you're lonely, anytime you're angry or anxious, anytime you're stressed or sad, anytime you're tired, anytime you're empty emotionally or physically, and anytime you're depressed or disconnected, watch out because you're in a weak place. And the enemy will try to get a foothold and in, in, he'll use those vulnerabilities. He'll use those weaknesses to attack you, to get you while you're down. 
He'll use triggers. He'll put the, the, the right person in front of you, the right woman in front of you. He'll put a man who says all the right things. He'll put the right push and person to push your buttons. He'll, he'll put somebody who appears to have rejected you if he knows you struggle with rejection or abandonment. He'll place the right people in your path at the right time because it's his scheme and it's cleverly designed, tailor-made for your weaknesses, for your vulnerabilities, and we cannot be unaware of the enemy's schemes. If you're somebody who worries constantly about your child and there's nothing you can do to control their behavior, can I tell you, it's a scheme. And he's going to keep coming after you and coming after you and coming after you till you learn to reject the scheme. If you're a man or a woman who struggles with sex addiction, I promise you, it's a scheme. And he's going to keep coming after you, coming after you, coming after you till you learn to reject it. Till you learn to, to, to cast down that thought. Till you, you learn to renew your mind. And we're going to talk about that. So the next screen, Sarah. He has uh, now, he, the sender has developed a scheme. He's customized it for you. Now he has to get it in you. And he has many delivery methods to do that. He has various methods to deliver his custom-made scheme. But he does it in a way that's unsuspecting because otherwise you wouldn't take the bait. His delivery methods can come uh, th through many ways, but, but, but sometimes they come through him directly. And when the enemy attacks, he does it by sending negative thoughts into your mind, whispers or lies, enticements, and he delivers them in an unsuspecting way. Thoughts that are contrary to the word of God, but you don't have enough knowledge about the word of God, so you don't even know they're contrary. This is why it's so important that we know the word of God, that we store it up richly inside of you. You can ask Dave, at any given time, there'll be scripture on my dashboard, there's scripture on my bathroom mirror, there's scripture on the door going out through my garage. It is in front of me. It's not uncommon for me to be in the grocery store line and pull out of my pocket a, a, a note that I have scripture written on because I'm memorizing it. I'm getting it in my head right now on my telephone. You can pull it out. And you can see that the screenshot, the screensaver, is a scripture that I'm memorizing. We have got to be purposeful about getting the word in us because we will never recognize the lies of the enemy if we have nothing to check it against. The schemes of the enemy can come through demonic influence. Now, many of you came here tonight because you expected me to talk on this tonight. I'm going to pick up next week on this. I needed to give you an overview of all the ways the enemy attacks before we narrow it down to those. I am here to tell you, Dave, do you agree with me? This is life-changing, what I'm going to be teaching on. There's a part of me that believes it's going to be a book because it has, it has rocked my world. It's rocked Dave's world, Leslie's world. It has rocked our world so much that, that I'm like, why in the world is the church not teaching this? Where is the voice that's rising up telling the people this is what it's all about? It's in Scripture, and yet we're ignorant of it. I was ignorant of it, and, and it's rocking my world. But I couldn't begin with that. I had to give you the overview of the enemy. But this is the area that we're going to focus on next week is demonic influence. You see, the enemy is not omnipresent. He's not like my God, strong and mighty. He can't be everywhere at one time. But he has, a he has emissaries. He's got a legion of them that he can use in their demons. And we talked last week about what a demon, or two weeks two weeks ago, about what a demon meant and how that started this whole uh, study for me. And, and we're going, so I'm going to pass over that quickly tonight, but I can tell you he can influence us and get delivery methods through demonic influence. And that's where we're going to really start focusing now for the next five weeks or so. But that demonic influence, they torment, they harass, they're unseen forces that attempt to influence you and draw you into sinful desires and ungodly choices. He can also use someone else, and we're going to touch on that through the demonic, the demonic influence because I believe that other people can be used as a medium or a channel. The word medium, Dave said, Rhea, I don't like that word because it's New Agey, and I'm like, no, New Age robbed it from God. Uh, uh, the, the, the word medium means a, a means of affecting or conveying something, a middleman, a go-between. And so the enemy 
uses somebody to get to you. He, he, he can use their words. He can use their actions to get to you. But your battle isn't against them. It's against him. They just happen to be accessible. They just happen to have their guard down <laughs> and, and were a tool for him to use to get to you. That's why you can forgive, and that's why we need to forgive. I'm speaking on Good Friday services at Grace Church, and I'm talking about forgiveness, and it's vital that we understand uh, the bondage that unforgiveness brings in our life. Uh, so he can use somebody else. He can use circumstances. He can use betrayal, rejection, pain, heartache, uh, memories. He can use all of that to get to you. Those are all his delivery methods. But then he needs a receiver. Sarah, back to the knee. Yep, he needs a receiver, and that is the human mind. He, he tries to get penetration in that human mind. He tries to gain access uh, to, your, to your thinking process, and he does that through his whispers and through his lies. And when we say yes to the lie, when we say yes to the whisper, we come into agreement with him, and we give him place, an occasion to act in our life. I was just in Florida, and we were in a hotel room uh, of a, a hotel uh, that, that was, had extra reinforced walls because of the hurricanes that hit that area. And so the walls were, were really thick and heavy. And it didn't matter how, what, whether I had AT&T, Verizon, whatever it was, we could not get any reception in that hotel room because the walls were too thick. And, and, and it didn't matter. Like, we, we couldn't even get text messages, could we? We'd leave the, the hotel room, go out on the street, and the text messages would start coming in two hours later. And, and it was because there was such great insulation and such great um, reinforcement in, in those walls. And I got to thinking as I was studying this, the same is true of us. God is our refuge and our fortress. He's our very present help in times of trouble. And, and we need to be so sheltered in the spirit. So, so in that secret place, so that the messages of the enemy don't get any reception. They just get sent back. We need to say, I'm changing. When I, when I was a little girl, I'm just going to date myself. We, we had transistor radios. And, and do you remember those? How you had to have it tuned just right, or you'd get all that white noise. Yeah, that's what we need to say to the enemy. You know what? I'm done with you. I'm changing the channel. I'm not listening to this anymore. I'm tuning you out. I'm sending that message back. And we need to make the choice. Okay, Sarah, the next one. We have two choices at this point. When the message of the enemy comes, we can either accept it or we can reject it. I'm sad to say that most of us accept it. But we have a choice to reject that. The Bible says, and, and, and here, here is scripture, that, that, that we need the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Here's what I want you to hear. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I like the Passion Translation. I know some of you don't. I don't really care. Uh, but let me just tell you, the reference is 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. Here's what it says. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought. And we insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Oh, I like it. You see, we have got to get to a place where we refuse the transmission of the enemy. We refuse to come under his influence and his oppression. When we have a thought, just because a thought comes through your mind does not make it truth. Just because the birds fly over your, your hair doesn't mean you need to make, let them make a nest in your hair. Did you understand? We have a choice. And just because a thought is coming through your mind does not make it truth. And it certainly doesn't make it your thought. We need to analyze that thought, and we need to say, does this thought line up with the Word of God? If it doesn't, we need to take, listen to this, we need to capture it like a prisoner of war and insist that it bow to the obedience of the anointed one. Spiritual warfare, contrary to what we believe, is not a struggle against a power. Do you know what it's a struggle against? The truth. It is a struggle to maintain the truth in our life. 
Satan aims his personal attack at getting people to doubt, to deny, to disregard, and to disobey the word of God. Because he understands that his pleasant path leads to pleasant places, that his way is the way to life, that his ways work, that his word has power. That his word doesn't ever return void. It always goes forth and prospers for the very thing it was sent to do. That his word brings life. <laughs> he does not want us focusing on that. If I said to you, pink elephant, right now, what's the first thought that pops in your mind? Pink elephant, pink elephant, pink elephant. You have a picture of a pink elephant in your mind, don't you? But now if I said hot dog, in order to get rid of the pink elephant, you have to start thinking about a hot dog. Are you with me? And it pushes the, hot dog, the pink elephant out and the hot dog in. Do, do you see? And the enemy says, pink elephant, pink elephant, pink elephant. You need to think about a pink elephant. Here's a lie. Think about it. And you need to say, no, no, no. I'm taking that prisoner of war. And I'm making it bow to the obedience of Christ. And you replace it with the truth of the word of God. And you can't have both in your mind at the same time. That's why it's important. Put it on a three-by-five card. Put it, get it in front of you all the time. So that you, I used to do this, Leslie, if I, I'm lying, I'm dying. I used to have these spiral notebooks, didn't I? Little note cards, and they were spiral. And, and, and I had one for like every, every issue I had. Anger. Um, unforgiveness. Uh, I don't know. Can you remember? The anger was the big one, wasn't it? And, and so every time, I, when I got angry, I did not have time to say, oh, Lord, now where are those scriptures on anger? I need to look it up in the concordance. I did not have time to do that because I'd be like, da, 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 da. I mean, that would be what it would happen. And so I had to grab my anger note cards, and I'd just be paging through those scriptures just making declaration about those because I had to push that thought out of my head and put in quickly the word of God. So do that if you have to do it, but, but learn to replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. He tries to gain access through a thought. We have to be intentional about stopping that process. We can't even start encoding it. We can't even start to say, does that make sense? Or is that true? Or we, we don't even have time for that. We need to immediately stop transmission. We can't afford to give him place. We have to mind our minds. The Bible says where the mind goes, the man will follow. So if your mind is thinking on things that are, are not of the Lord, your actions are going to behave like things that are not of the Lord. Do you understand that? Where the mind goes, the man will follow. So we have to block that transmission. We have to take captive every thought. Take, we capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow to the obedience of the anointed one. So, practically, how does this work? So, you have a thought. Maybe it produces anxiety in you. Maybe it robs you of peace. Maybe it's going over and over and over in your mind, tormenting and harassing you. Maybe it's enticing you to do something sinful. Maybe it makes you rage and fills you with anger. At that point, you stop and you ask yourself, does this thought line up with the word of God? I always run it by the Philippians 4 t test. Uh, Sarah, do I have a, do I have a uh, slide that talks? About, yeah, I, I run it by the Philippians 4 test. I used to, Dave will test to this. I used to have an, a card in my Jeep that, that, I, that I had this stuff written on because I needed to be able to access it. I, 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 when I have a thought coming through my mind, I have to stop and say, is this true? It might be true, but is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is this lovely? Would God want me to be thinking on this? Is it of good report? Is there any virtue in it? Is it even praiseworthy? If it's not, I need to take that thing captive to the obedience of Christ. I need to lead it away like a prisoner of war and insist that it bow to the anointed one. Do, do you see how it works? So we're studying this very passage on Friday morning. Friday morning, Friday morning Bible study people, woohoo! We love it. The, the, this, we're studying this passage on Friday morning. And I, I read it this week in the Passion. It says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day. 
offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Put into practice the example that all of you have heard from me or seen in my life, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Some of you are sitting here tonight, and you are tormented. You're harassed. You're filled with worry. You're feel, filled with fear, which, by the way, one of the spirits I'm covering is a spirit of fear. You're filled with that. And it's because you've allowed the enemy real estate in your mind to whisper his lies. You say, well, Rhea, what I'm worried about is true. Okay, but is it praiseworthy? Is it lovely? Does it bring you peace? If not, push that thing out, cast it down. Because you see, casting down imaginations, I love that. Because when we're worried about something, when the enemy comes, he magnifies everything. What if this happens? Oh no, this is going to happen. You need to worry about this even before it happens. And, and go to worst case scenario, whatever you do. Because that's where I want you to be. So I can steal your peace. And we need to be purposeful about casting that thing down. Because my imagination can make that thing so much bigger than it is. I can imagine every worst case scenario. Mm, thank you, Lord. This morning, in the middle of the night, I... I was dreaming about one of my grandsons, and it was not a good dream. And I woke up, and I was a little startled, and I, I could have sat there and worried about it. But I got out of bed, and I went downstairs, and I began to pray for my grandchildren. Um, I, uh, not maybe, I don't know, as soon as the sun came up, my son texted me, and he said, Mama, will you pray for this grandchild? And he said, uh, he, or, no, I said, I said to him, had a dream about so-and-so last night. Everything okay? He said, Mama, I can't believe you're saying that. He said, he was up all night for some reason. And I said, don't worry, Ty, I got him. I got him. I could have worried about that. I could have said, what's coming that I'm dreaming about him? He's up all night. He said he never wakes up in the middle of the night. I could have sat there and worried about that. I could have let my imagination go. But instead I said, I am casting down that thought. I am taking it to the foot of the cross. I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm casting my cares onto him because he cares for me. And I'm giving him this burden to carry. And I am not going to have vain imagination about anything. I am going to trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. We have got to learn to do this. We've got to learn to do this. Would you ever pick up a hitchhiker? Some of you would. Karen Bogle, you would pick up a hitchhiker. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I know you would. But I have two police officers for sons, and so I would not pick up a hitchhiker. I know way too much. And, and so, you know, when you're driving along and the stranger wants a ride in your car, Kimberly Daniels says this. Remember that there's a difference between your mind and your thoughts. Your mind is the vehicle, and your thoughts are what you allow to get in your vehicle and ride. Do not pick up strangers to ride in the vehicle of your mind. You do not have to be delivered from what you'll cast down first. I'm telling you, I see this all the time. People come for deliverance. People come saying, Rhea, will you pray for this issue in my life? And, and I want to say, you want me to cast out what you should have cast down. Casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the truth of the word of God. You and I have a responsibility to cast that thing down, not to meditate on it, not to ruminate on it. And so, you know, you go to a Christian counselor and you're, you're going to the same counselor 25 years in a row and nothing ever changes. It's because he can't cast out what you refuse to cast down. Casting down every thought, every imagination that sets itself up against Christ. It's a hitchhiker in your mind. So now, next screen. So now we, need a, we rejected it. We took it captive to the obedience of Christ. Now we need a counterattack. My goodness, am I late on time 
I'm going to get through this. A counterattack. We need to send that message back to the enemy. We need to refuse it. Uh, Jesus, in the word of God, how did he deal with the lies of the enemy? It is written. It is written. It is written. He didn't try to do his own fine-sounding words. He he quoted scripture back to the enemy. The sword of the spirit will foil every uh, scheme of the enemy. But we have a choice. Next one, Sarah. We, we have a choice here. We can accept it or we can reject it. But when we accept it, we come into agreement with it. And he gets power through agreement. Bill Johnson says, uh, believe the lie, you empower the liar. And I'm not about giving him any power. I'm just telling you. The enemy needs your agreement. It's where his lie is received as truth. Go to the next screen, Sarah. So now, once we accept that lie as truth and we let it access to our mind, to our thinking, we tend to do this, ruminate on it. We, we decode it. We begin to break it down. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's right. We, we, we attach value to it. Even though it's a lie, masqueraded as truth, we attach value to it. We begin to wrestle with it and meditate on it, and it has power to torment and harass us. And, 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 it, and we start to give it power, and when we do that, it can quickly become a core belief. So now we go to the next slide. We ruminate on it, and we've now given place to the devil, and what happens? It becomes a stronghold. What is a stronghold? Anything that has a strong hold on you. That can be anxiety, that can be unforgiveness, that can be bitterness, it can be self-pity, it can be hatred, it can be rage, it can be worry, and it gets a strong hold on you because you've come into agreement with the enemy and now he's established a fortress in, in your life, a place for him to hide in and use to torment you. And so once we have a fortress established, Sarah, next screen, now we need to escape that pain. We need to escape that torment. We need to escape that harassment. And so in order to cope with life, we need to escape. And we do that through things like drugs, alcohol, gambling, food, shopping, sex, workaholism, um, disassociation, I'm just going to push that down and not think about it, and, and, and numb yourself out so now you don't have relationship with anybody. You're there, but you're not there because you're disassociating. Hindrances. Next screen, Sarah. So now the devil has achieved his purpose. He wants to hinder your fellowship with God. He wants to hinder your fellowship with one another. And he really wants to hinder your identity in Christ. If you buy his lies, hook, line, and sinker, you will forget who you are in Christ and who Christ says you are. So many of you have given the enemy the power to tell you who you are. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're not lovable. You're not successful. You're not whatever it is. And it's because you've bought into his lie. And you didn't take it captive. You didn't come into agreement with what God says about you. Do you know what God says about you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are his treasured possession. That you are above and not beneath. You're, you're the head and not the tail. You are a lender and not a borrower. That you are his Hebzibah. He takes great delight in you. Yes. Do, do you know what he says about you, that you belong to him, that no one can snatch you out of his hand, that every place you step your foot, he'll give to you. Dave, <laughs> this is how much I take, every word, can I just tell you, I, I believe every last word in this Bible, every last word. And Dave came out today, we have these pine trees that cost a fortune that we can't replace in our backyard. And they're beautiful. And about I don't know, three, four years ago, they got a virus, fungus, fungus and, and they're slowly dying. They're slowly using all their needles, and it grieves my soul because we can't replace them, and they're, they're beautiful. So today he's looking out the window, and he says to me, oh, Rhea, it looks like the fungus is spreading to the other trees. And I said, mm-mm, not going to happen. <laughs> I said, the word of God tells me that every place I step my foot, it belongs to me. Those trees belong to me, and I am commanding them to come back to life. So I'll just tell you 
in this summer just expect my, my pine trees to be back to life. That's how much I believe that word. I do. Did I not say that? I'm not lying, am I? I believe God's word. I believe it. So I'm telling it's going to work. It's gonna, I'm not even buying into the fact that it might not. It's going to. But you see, his, his, what he wants to do is hinder your relationship with Christ, your relationship with yourself, and the relationship with one another. Because he knows if he can cut off our fellowship with God, he's cut off our power. If he can get us to focus on his lie, we won't focus on the truth of the word of God. But it doesn't have to end like this. The, the Bible has a solution. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit to the authority of God. Resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. My, my son Tyler is a SWAT. He's on the SWAT team. And, and I, I was talking to him about this because I, I was thinking about authority. And, you know, when Tyler goes into a dangerous situation and they're in them all the time or a crisis situation, he doesn't just jump, jump out of the armor vehicle and, and do whatever he wants. He doesn't run off and do his own thing. He submits to the authority above him. And that authority, his, his sergeant or whoever it is, has a well-developed plan. And that, that, that sergeant tells them about their plan before they go into the dangerous situation. And he expects them to follow his orders. <laughs> Tyler says things can go bad quickly in those situations. And so they train constantly. And they are so well trained that when a crisis comes, there's no room to panic. They don't even think about panicking because their training kicks in. And they don't allow the crisis to motivate them. He says their training motivates them. And he said they follow the plan of the one in authority. And, and, and that's what God is saying here. He's saying, look at this word, submit to the authority of God. Resist the devil, the danger, and he will flee from you. Make your stand against him. God has given us his battle plan against the enemy. It's his plan to defeat the enemy. But we have to submit to his authority. That means to his word. That means when anxiety comes, da, 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 come, be anxious, think about this, let me steal your joy, we say, mm -mm. God's word, God's authority says, I don't have to be anxious about this thing. And so you need to go in the name of Jesus. I'm blocking that transmission, and I'm going to think on whatsoever things are true. And what's true is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, belongs to me. That joy unspeakable belongs to me. Uh, that the, the, the peace of God rules and reigns in my heart. That everything that concerns me, he has promised to perfect. That's the truth. And so the transmission needs to go back in Jesus' name. I'm refusing it in Jesus' name. The word submit means to obey. It means to submit one's control, to submit to one's advice. And so often the opposite happens. We submit and obey the devil instead. We yield to the one who desires our destruction instead of the one who promises to give life. And here's the reality. When we do not walk in submission to God's will and to his word, we allow the enemy to write the narrative for our lives. Cindy Evers says, and I'll finish with this quote, this is not his to write, it is God's. But who do we give the pen to? We will always give the pen to either God or Satan. In the power of the entrustment of submission, we offer the pen to Christ, and he carefully and with great love will write our life's narrative. Many of you are here tonight in torment and trouble because you've given the pen to the enemy to write the narrative of your life. The, the, um, there's so much more I want to say. But many of you have heard me do um, my yoke teaching. The Bible says uh, that there's an anointing that breaks every yoke. The Bible talks about the yoke of your youth. Don't submit to the yoke of your youth. And, and you've heard me talk about how uh, with oxen, how oxen are yoked together. And so they usually have a big oxen and a smaller one. And wherever the big oxen wants to go, the smaller one has to follow because that yoke is on them. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? One of those big wooden yokes? Well, the Bible says that, that we get yoked. The enemy tries to yoke us in our youth. Um, 
Something happens, pain happens, and the enemy uses that to put us in bondage and to yoke us to that thing. And so now, instead of being guided by God, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says. What happens is the enemy has put a yoke of addiction or of whatever it is, a memory on us, and he uses that thing to keep us bound all of our life and to guide us through life under that yoke. But there is an anointing that breaks every yoke. We do not have to submit to the yoke that the enemy wants to put on us. He wants, to, he wants a stronghold in our life so that he can use that thing to, to torment, to guide us throughout our life. But the enemy does not have the final word. There is an anointing that breaks every yoke. God's power can break that yoke off of you. And his yoke, we can come under his yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from him. We learn from him in his word. Do you know that when oxen are trained to go under the yoke, they are young oxen. And, and they're trained, they have these goads on that stab them, and, and they're trained to submit to that yoke. Now, how much do you think an oxen, a full-grown oxen weighs? A, a lot. <laughs> and a little wooden yoke. I used to have a wooden yoke that I would bring when I taught this. And, and they're, they're really, I mean, they're heavy, but they're not too heavy for a massive ox. But you see, they've learned from little up that they do not have the power uh, that they have to submit to that yoke. And I want to say, Mr. Ox, you could break that thing in a second. You could kick up a storm. You, you could get out from under that yoke in a heartbeat. What is up with you? But see, he's been trained to believe he has to submit to it. Jesus. Some of us are sitting here tonight under a yoke of oppression. And the enemy has used that thing to steer your life. And I have news for you. You do not have to submit to it. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. He is your yoke breaker. He is your burden bearer. And he promises to do immeasurably more than you and I could ever ask or imagine. Ask him to break the yoke. One of the ways we break that yoke is to turn in repentance and to begin to say what God says in our life, to begin to walk in obedience to his word. Repentance is turning and going the other direction. I was walking in agreement with the enemy, and I'm repenting, and I'm walking in agreement with you. Do you see? And so, <laughs> as you go forth this week, remember your battle is not against flesh and blood. Please don't use fleshly weapons to fight your battles. You have spiritual weapons that demolish strongholds. You have the ability to fight this battle in the spiritual realm. Some of you aren't seeing victory in your life because you're fighting it with your mouth instead of on your knees. And so we cannot be unaware of the enemy's schemes. He is a schemer, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have to be purposeful.